For scripture reading today, we will be turning to the book of Psalms as Toby continues his series, Psalms for Today. And uh, chapter 64 is the psalm we'll be focusing on today. If you're using a pew Bible from the pew in front of you, you will find Psalm 64 on page 480. And while you're turning to there, just a reminder, this is the first Sunday of the month when we gather together uh, to pray together for the advancement of the gospel. And so please come back tonight in the fellowship hall and let's fill the room with our prayers. So Psalm 64, page number 480 in the Pew Bible. Follow along as I read. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, what a great comfort these words are to us, that you are a God who is truly in control, that God who is just and fair and sovereign and good. And Lord, we pray at this time that you would be with Pastor Toby as he teaches us from your word, that you would fill him with your power, enable him, Lord, and may the Holy Spirit minister in our hearts that we would see how these words should change us today, that we'd be moved to walk in faith and repentance this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Before we launch in, um, I do want to mention that in a few weeks I will be going to Guatemala to teach biblical counseling uh, to a couple of different groups of pastors and their wives, as well as to preach and work alongside um, uh, Randy and Brenda, I almost said Brendy and Randa, uh, <laughs> Randy and Brenda, and um, uh, we're going to go uh, volcano surfing. And we're not really. I'm just a joke. Uh, but uh, please pray as I prepare for that. Um, it will be a very full week. So I'll be gone the 19th to the 26th, uh, and I'll send out an email closer to time. The other thing I just wanted to say was, uh, for those of you who know that uh, Kurt, uh, Kurt Tyra is an elder, please know that the hiring of Jordan, he, he, was, so, he was so surprised that Jordan was even a candidate, that he learned it from Jordan himself. Uh, uh, Kurt is currently taking, he's, on, he's inactive, uh, his status is inactive as an elder, uh, so um, he didn't know, he didn't have a, a hand in, 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 in the part, so he, re, he would have recused himself anyway, but I just wanted you to know that he didn't bring him to the table and said, man, it'd be great if Jordan and Shana lived here, wouldn't it? Uh, but uh, it was... It is a real blessing, and I'm looking forward to uh, working with Jordan. Enemies 
to change subjects, are easier to deal with when they look like enemies. When you know they've been an en enemy all along, you know, if it's on the battlefield and, or whether it's in the drawing the lines between lawbreaker and lawkeeper, you know, the old westerns where the, the white hats and the black hats, you know who the good guys were and who the, black, who the bad guys were and all these things. Even when it comes to our interactions with the world as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are clearly hostile to Christianity, clearly a false teacher, these folks are easier to deal with. Enemies are easier to deal with when they look like enemies. But when a friend becomes an enemy, things get more complicated, don't they? When the one who, if the one who fought alongside you on the battlefield turns out to be a spy for the enemy. It becomes complicated in the precinct where a police officer is found to be in league with criminals or among the gang if one of the members of the gang is in league with the police. When someone, as Paul says to the Ephesian elders, when wolves come in and they sneak in and they begin to twist doctrine from the inside... when one you've trusted betrays that trust. Within marriage, spouses suffering betrayal like adultery or abuse. Children suffering the betrayal of parents who may abuse them or neglect them or abandon them. When those who ought to be helping you are hurting you. When those who ought to be an ally are an adversary. When those who ought to be loyal are turncoats. The wound is deeper and more painful. Because enemies are easier to deal with when they look like enemies. An enemy who was once your friend hurts more deeply. King David knows all about it. He writes about it here in Psalm 64. There doesn't seem to be a specific situation in mind, but there is a clear truth, and that is this. God can be trusted when people betray us. God can be trusted when people betray us. As we look at this... I just want us to look under two headings. First, I just want us to see that David is betrayed. Now, it seems like this is just, you know, ever since Psalm 51, if you just work your way through the Psalms, ever since Psalm 51, David's been mentioning enemies of one sort of or, an, or, or another. Now, these are not in chronological order, but enemies show up in 52, 53, all the way to here, sometimes in more full detail, sometimes just a brief mention of enemies. And so you, you could think that David's just talking about enemies like he has before, but the language here sets this apart. Look at verse 2. 
Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. Now, the, the, the Hebrew there for secret plots essentially speaks of familiar conversation, the counsel of those that you know. And David actually uses this in a positive way when he's remembering good days with those who are now his enemies. Back in Psalm 55, you want to flip a couple pages back, verses 12 to 14, he writes this, It is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. There's the word, sweet counsel there. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. He's talking about those who are in close fellowship with him. But here in Psalm 64, it's not sweet. Here in Psalm 64, they're not walking through the congregation enjoying sweet counsel together. Instead, counsel's being taken against David by those who are close to him. This evil purpose is not some foreign warlord plotting how they're going to take over Jerusalem. This is someone from, this is a group of people from David's own you ever been stung like that? Not because you were a king once, but just stung by someone close. I think many of us would say yes, if not most of us, if not all of us. Look at what, look at this situation that, that David finds himself in here, this betrayal. First, it's serious. Look at the first two verses. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers. Now, if we didn't have those two verses, we might think this betrayal is only about words, but apparently he is concerned for his life. It's starting with words now. The words are happening but actions are going to come. So he's saying, hide me, preserve my life from the wicked, the evildoers, those who aren't just going to talk a good game. They don't just talk trash. They are going to deal it. They're going to come and they're going to make good on their plans. It is serious. It's also sharp. Look at verse 3. Who whet their tongues like swords. What a picture that is wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows. These aren't, this planning isn't just the general rumblings of some disgruntled employees or court members. These are people who are working to sharpen their attack to take David down. I happened to look this week. Uh, it was very interesting. I've never done this before in my life, uh, and that was to search online and to see the process of a blade actually being sharpened. And it's interesting, there, I found some place where they had these, these uh, pictures that were, you know, basically under a microscope of the edge of the blade. And it starts out very rough looking, basically rectangular is what it looks like. And the lines that come to that rectangular part are kind of, they're just jaywacky. They're all over the place. 
They're just going here, there, and yonder. But you take that blade and you rub it against what can be called a sharpening stone or a whetstone, and you whet that blade, and that rectangular edge becomes the razor that you know. And all those lines that kind of went here, there, and everywhere, all those lines go in the same direction. Everything lines up. Everything goes to the point. Everything goes to the place that's going to do the damage to whatever it is you take that knife to. And that is precisely what David says is happening with their words. That's how it happens with words, isn't it? The more a rumor circulates, the more lies are spread, the more gossip happens, the sharper it gets, the more everything seems to line up, the more certain you become this must absolutely be the case about that person because everything's coming to this sharp point. David calls the words bitter. They are harsh and corrosive. Don't think that it's no big deal if you're just talking behind somebody's back. That's only where things begin, dear friend. Relationships have ended that started with less. Words matter. James 3 says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. A tongue is, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And David can feel the fires of hell coming against him through their sharpened words. He's betrayed. Look, this is why indulging in listening to rumors, well, I don't spread them, I just listen to them. This is why this is more dangerous than you might think, because the longer that this kind of speculation and things happen, the sharper they get and the more damage they can do. Dear friend, you need to run as far as you can from water cooler gossip in the office. You need to run as far as you can from people who begin their sentences with, well, you know what I heard. And if whatever speculation runs through your mind is based on nothing, then dismiss it and ask the Lord's help. And if it's based on some action, then don't go to this person. Go to the one where the problem is. If a brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault. You may not even know that he sinned against you, but you're seeing something. Go to that person. Don't start a committee, you see. Because the sharper... Look, churches have been cut in two and three and four relationships have been cut off. Careers have been cut. And it all started with words. They are not harmless. They are set on fire by hell itself. 
And David knows that. And that's why we must let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as builds up as, is, as fits the occasion, that it gives grace to those who hear. But it's also sneaky. Look at verse 4. Shooting from ambush at the blameless. Shooting at him suddenly and without fear. This is guerrilla warfare. It's not like they went to David. They didn't set up an appointment with him and say, David, we really need to talk to you about this because we think there might be a problem. They don't do that. They don't declare their intention to uh, go to war with him. They simply wait for their moment. They hide in the bushes with their bows drawn, ready to strike. It's also conceited. Are you, are you saddened that that doesn't start with an S? Because a little bit of me was when I wrote that down. If you can find an S to substitute for conceited, please send me an email this week. But it is conceited. Look at verse 5. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? That's what they think. Who can see us? This is a clear indication of godlessness. When you begin to think, who will ever know? Who will ever see? As long as I keep up appearances with the wife, as long as I keep up appearances with my boss, as long as I keep up appearances at church, who will ever know that I've indulged? Please know that when that mindset sets in, you have entered the territory of godlessness. You have forgotten the God who sees everything. You have forgotten the God who cannot be hidden from. You, you can't hide from Him. You can't get away with it. The fact that God sees all and knows all and is omnipresent should be a great deterrent to the Christian when it comes to sin. If we think we can neglect responsibility without being seen, God sees. If we think we can dabble in unrighteousness without anyone knowing, God knows. If we think that all that matters is what other people think about us, then we have exalted man to godlike status, and we have forgotten the God who lays bare the hearts of man. Who can see is not the question of one pursuing righteousness, but pursuing unrighteousness and thinking he can do it secretly. I wonder if there's anyone who would fit that. Anyone, you're dabbling in something and you think, so long as I erase the internet history, so long as I still get home at the same time, so long as my children and my wife don't find out, so long as I wonder if any of us are saying about some area of our life, who really, who, who can see it? God can see it. And if that is not enough, dear friend, I am 
fearful for your soul if that is not enough, that God can see it. And it's substantial. Look at verse 6. They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search, which is essentially a way of saying, we've looked for injustice and we've devised a completely foolproof plan. We've made a diligent, we've accomplished a diligent search for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. This is no fleeting thought. This is no momentary betrayal. This is no, like, just knee-jerk reaction. It's been thought out. It's been planned. And they are ready for execution. And the inward mind and the heart of a man are deep. That, doesn't that just throw your mind to Jeremiah 17? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what this means, this heart and mind are deep. Who can actually understand it? The depths of our depravity, the depths of our deception, the depths of what we will go to to accomplish evil, it is, it's unsearchable. We're the, we're the, we are so creative when it comes to expressing our sinfulness. Listen to those words again. This is David being betrayed. It's serious, it's sharp, it's sneaky, it's conceited, and it's substantial. So what do you do when you're betrayed? That's the question, isn't it? We're all like, yeah, 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 I got all that. I got that in spades. I've, I've been betrayed. I've got the betrayed t-shirt. How do you respond? Just think. Think about a time when you were betrayed. How did you respond? When the ones who beat should be for you are against you. The instinct of the flesh is to go on the attack. To become a one-man army. To become Bruce Lee, who could somehow defeat 40 enemies. Why those guys didn't just dogpile him from the beginning? I don't understand. They wait in line to get beat up by Bruce Lee. I don't understand that approach to fighting. Uh, but I didn't win a lot of fights as a child. So, in fact, I don't remember winning a fight as a child. So, the, the, Bruce Lee's got it. I don't know. Maybe he laid out the rules beforehand. But you, you become a one-man army, don't you? You are going to defend yourself against everybody. You're going to go on the attack against those who've attacked you. You're going to get those people who've betrayed you. You are going to teach them a lesson. That's the instinct. Avenge yourself. But we don't see that in David here. Isn't that interesting? What we see is that David is betrayed, and then we see David trusts God. It's a trust that runs right through the psalm. First of all, we see that David's trust is revealed in prayer. Prayer is an expression of the soul's dependence on God. And in the face of betrayal, when no one can really be turned to, 
When human relationships seem their most fragile, David knows where to go. He goes to the Lord to cast all his anxieties on him. So in verse 1, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. This is, this is not the complaint of a whiny child who doesn't get his way. This is the complaint of one who goes to court to file a complaint, to get his case heard by the judge. And David calls on God to hear his voice. That, that verb, hear my voice, isn't just a cry to make sure that God hears what's coming out of my mouth. It's, it's, it's hear me and respond, Lord. Act. David brings his betrayal to God because he believes God will act. Only God can preserve his life. Only God can hide him. What is your first response to betrayal? Where do you turn in betrayal? Do you plan your response? Do you, you ever have those conversations in your mind? Well, the next time we are together, this is precisely what I am going to say to you. And it is going to be so good and so sharp and so kind. It's like Bruce Lee in verb form, and you're never going to be able to stand up again. Do you pace and plan, or do you make your requests known to God? When was the last, when's the last time you can remember being betrayed and prayer was your instinctual response? Certainly there may be times or certain situations in which we ought to act in some way or in something. But I, since it's not in Psalm 64, we're just going to stick with what Psalm 64 says. I don't want to run through a litany of situations where you may need to do something or say something. I'm just going to say there could be circumstances where you need to do something. But David prays. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds to most people? He prays? He doesn't form a militia? He doesn't call them out and say, meet me under the willow tree at 3 o'clock after school? He prays? Isn't he going to do something? Dear friend, when we, when we begin to think that way, do you know what we've done? We, we actually belittle the entire action of prayer altogether. When we say that there's praying and then there's real responses. As if calling on the Lord to preserve your life is nothing. Don't belittle prayer. David sees a God on whom he can rely, and he calls to him. In much the same way we, we, we see in uh, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Because that's true in the midst of betrayal. Dear friends, we must lift our eyes to the hills. When we begin begin to think that our actions, our response, our revenge will actually be our protectors, then we are turning away from the very God who says all of those things about Himself. We must be like the persistent widow and keep going to God until we get our answer. We must be like Jacob who will wrestle with, we will wrestle with God until He blesses us. We will not let you go, Lord, until you bless. His trust is revealed in prayer. Just go beyond betrayal. If my prayer life, if your prayer life were recorded by words and minutes and sincerity this last week, what would it say of our trust? Would it declare that we trust in the God on whom we call? David's trust also rests in God's power. Look at verses 7 to 9. But God shoots His arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. David knows God. David knows God's character. David knows God's ways. He knows God's power. And he knows he can leave his life in God's hands. They shoot arrows of unrighteousness. God will fire back arrows of justice. They act suddenly and secretly without fear in their wickedness. And God will act suddenly and publicly and in righteousness. And he will bring great fear to them and to all who hear about it. They wield sharpened tongues like sword, believing no, swords, believing no one will see them. God will turn their words against them, and many will see and wag their heads in shame. And in the end, all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. You see, the more that we know God, the more we know we can trust Him in the face of enemies that look like enemies and in the face of enemies that were once friends. God says to us in Isaiah 49, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Josh and Colleen Stacy will sooner turn their back on little Silas before God will turn his back on you. The worst news stories are the stories when children die, aren't they? And especially when it's at the hands of a neglectful parent. And God says, in my hands, that will never be you. He will never forget us. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. 
And David trusts that God in his own time and in his own way will deal with these people according to what they have done. And David's trust, so it's revealed in prayer, it rests in God's power and it results in praise. That's what verse 10 is. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord. What a turnaround from verse 1, isn't it? He's gone in begging for his life and he comes out singing praise. All because he put the betrayal in the perspective of a sovereign God who has committed himself to David. That's how he gets there. He does not sing through gritted teeth. He is joyful. He is exuberant. Not because the pain is gone, not because the betrayal's over, but because God is over the betrayal. That's why he sings. And so he asks in verse 2, hide me. And in verse 10 he says, God is my refuge, my hiding place. He says in verse 1 that he dreads the enemy, and in verse 10 all he can do is rejoice in the Lord. The betrayers have boasted in themselves, saying, Who can see us? And David, in verse 10, is exulting in the Lord. He's not, just, he's not out boasting them, right? He's not, he's not joining the fight and puffing out his chest and saying, Oh yeah, well, I'm the king. He's saying, You're the king. This is why Paul and Silas can sing in a Philippian jail. Because they put their lives into the perspective of a sovereign and good God who is committed to them in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you can't sing there. If you find yourself not being able to sing because of whatever it is that's going on in your life, I would urge you, put your life into the perspective under and trusting in a good and sovereign God. Then you can sing. Then nothing will stop your singing. Betray all you want. God is my keeper. My betrayers will have to go to sleep tonight and stop their betraying, but God will never sleep nor slumber. He will be watching over me as I sleep. The universe will not spin out of his control. I may die a betrayed man, but I will not die one who is without his God, who will carry him into eternity. How important is my reputation? Well, in some sense, it's important because it should speak to Christ. But look, in the end, Paul says, I, judge me all you want. I, you're not my judge. I'm not even my judge. It doesn't matter how I feel about me. It doesn't matter how you feel about me. It matters how God, what God has done. God is the one whose opinion matters most. 
So yes, reputation matters. 1 Timothy 3, my reputation with outsiders matters as an elder. But no, it doesn't. Not in the scheme of eternity. What matters is Christ's reputation. God can be trusted when people betray us. Now you would think that that's enough, wouldn't you? But it's not. Because this song, as it is passed down, will eventually come to the lips of the Lord Jesus. You see, the Bible actually starts with betrayal. Did you know that? We who were made in the image of God, who walked in close fellowship with God, mankind walking in the cool of the garden in perfect fellowship with God, what happened? We betrayed it. We betrayed that relationship. Fell into sin. And all of us fell with Adam and Eve. And, and, and betrayal is just an in, it's just infests humanity. And then, it, then these words, so these words of betrayal, they're not hard to sing, are they? It's not hard to sing about people who betray you. I mean, even if you're not like Taylor Swift, it is really easy to think about and sing about betrayal because it happens all the time. And it's passed on from one generation to the next to the next, and then Jesus sings it. And Jesus knew a betrayal... But nobody else did. He sympathizes with us in his weakness, but John 1 says he came to his own and his own received him not. And then in his life, that was just general, but very specifically he faces betrayal. Judas Iscariot betrays him, one who is his close friend, one, one who was in the inner circle, so to speak. It's not my enemy or else it's taunting me or else I could take it. It's you, a man, my close friend, my close companion. You are betraying me. These are the words of Jesus. And to betray him with a kiss, which was intended to communicate warmth and friendship, instead communicates cold betrayal. And Jesus, in response, in knowing, knowing that this betrayal was coming, knowing it, do you know what he did? He got down on his knees and washed Judas's feet. And he rises from there and he says, one of you will betray me. And then he's betrayed into the hands of men and he is beaten and he is bloodied and he is crushed and he is crucified to rescue us, his betrayers.
See, the arrows of God's justice would rightly point at us. But they took aim at the Lord Jesus Christ instead. We should be the ones coming to ruin. But instead, we're given redemption. People should wag their heads at us in shame. But God has lifted up our face so we can see the place from whence our help comes. And all those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who was betrayed that he might die for us, they will be forgiven of that sinful betrayal of God and have their life preserved and hidden with God in Christ and will be preserved forever in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. And because our redemption is secured, our forgiveness is secured in the death and resurrection of Jesus, dear friends, because God has given us His Spirit, we can respond to betrayal differently. You don't have to respond to betrayal by attacking. You don't have to respond by a to betrayal with revenge. You can, we can respond in the Spirit of Christ who entrusted Himself to the One who judges justly. We entrust ourselves to Him. And do you know what that looks like practically? Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Uh, never? Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Doesn't that sound impossible? It is. Apart from the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who overcame evil with good with His good death and resurrection. God does not call us, brothers and sisters, to simply... He certainly doesn't call us to revenge. And He doesn't just call us to bear it and try to keep ourselves from revenge. He calls us to trust Him in prayer, to trust His power will bring all things right in the end, to trust Him and express it by singing of Him. And more than that, to do good to those who betray us. That is radically different than what the world will tell you to do. The world will tell you to cut those people off. You deserve better. Dear friend, we deserve hell. But we have been granted acceptance where we did not belong.
And now we can do what we could not do before apart from the Spirit of God. We can trust God when people betray us. Let's take just a moment to reflect on these things. And then I will pray and there will be men to collect the benevolence offering at the doors on your way out. Our Father, we are grateful that in your great faithfulness, your great purpose to save us, Jesus was betrayed. Though we deserved, we deserved none of your faithfulness. We, we deserve nothing from you that is good. Yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We thank you that we serve a Savior who knows what it is to be betrayed by a friend, who knows what it is to have that wound cut deeply. We pray that you will give us grace to follow in his steps and to entrust ourselves to you to pray, to rest ourselves in your powerful hands, to praise you because you are faithful when no one else is. And we pray that you will give us grace to be a people who overcome evil with good. That when we see an enemy who even was once a friend, we feed him, we give him something to drink, we wash his feet, we serve, we love, because that is how our Savior has done for us. Make us such a people, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.